peace and beauty of the bells have already taken us very close to the heart of God. Friends, good morning. Welcome to our 8.30 service on this, the second Sunday of Advent. Welcome to those of you in the room, those of you joining us online. It's good to worship God together on this day in this way. Uh, look around, some of you are visiting with us. We're really honored that you've come. We hope you'll come back, leave us some contact information. We'd love to reach out to you, begin the process of befriending uh, one another. Um, I do this every week. Uh, I talk about people online. Let me speak to you guys for a moment. Some of you I've never laid eyes on because you live in other states and other countries. Thank you for joining us. I'd still love to hear from you. Uh, those of you who live closer by, run into people at the grocery store, whoever all the time, who say, I see you on TV, which is great. Uh, and I'm glad you join us in any way. I, I do miss, you know, being able to shake your hand or bump your fist or a hug. Uh, I do miss looking in your face and asking how you're doing, and I can see something in it. Uh, reach out to me if you're online. Just shoot me a note. Let me know how you're doing, how I might pray for you during the season. I'm rambling now. Uh, my name is James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica. Jessica, are you coming to my staff party tonight? I plan on it. Great. <laughs> Jessica Dason. <laughs> I'm still invited. <laughs> <laughs> Always. I better not mess up this morning. No, <laughs> Friends, we are so glad to be in the midst of this season of Advent. We have lots of exciting things. Today, you want to make sure you check out our Festival of the Crush in the upstairs lobby of the main lobby on the second floor. And then this afternoon, we have our wonderful kneeling at the manger, all families, children, grandparents, neighbors, everyone is invited. And then tomorrow night, we have our really special hope and consolation service at 6.30 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. And that's a service for anyone that has experienced loss, which is all of us, right? So this is just a special service. Um, for anyone that's feeling that need to just, just have some time um, to remember those loved ones, um, to grieve, to process, and to be in community in this season. So I hope that you will take the time to join us tomorrow evening at 6.30. Friends, it is good to be together. God is already with us. Let us continue on in worship. join in our responsive reading as we light the second candle. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. We light this candle in peace.
family of God, let us join our voices now as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. It can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In the season where we are reminded of just how close God is willing to come to dwell with us, we find comfort in knowing that God knows all there is to know about us. So with that, we can come and confess our sins to God and before one another. So please join me in our prayer of confession. Wonderful counselor, we lay our foolishness and brokenness at your feet. Guide us into your wisdom. Mighty God, our pride and quest for power cause more harm than good. Open our hearts to your strength and weakness. Everlasting Father, forgive us for staying far from our home with you. Restore our kinship with you, O God. Prince of Peace, Conflict, fear, and rancor plague us. Let us believe your promises and gifts of peace. O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. Hear the good news. Christ is with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Psalter reading is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, you whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouths of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes, 
to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look up at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him less than God and crown him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Isaiah said, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The other nations uh, would laugh at Israel's claims that their God was uh, mighty, but Israel had developed paradoxical thought patterns where the world is turned upside down and what seems powerful is only, uh, only just weakness and vice versa. It's a, such a lovely thing. Uh, the, the way of Israel, our way is uh, Christmas. Uh, what, could be, what could be more unmighty than an infant? An infant. Infants seem unmighty, but I discovered something uh, when the first child showed up at our house. Uh, I was pastor of a church here in Northeast Charlotte. And um, the uh, men of that church, uh, I think they enjoyed intimidating the pastor. It was like they're sick. And uh, these are all laborers. They were big men, and they had big muscular hands because they worked with their hands for a living. I have these like little weeny hands. You know, they, they can play the piano. They can write. But, I mean, I haven't worked for a living with my hands. So every Sunday at the end of church, they'd come and greet me, and they would, you could just see the relish in their eyes. And they would shake my hand and be like, trying not to grimace. They showed their strength. It was great. I was a little anxious then when uh, Sarah was born, and I took her to church. And what I discovered, I was afraid they would grab her and they would wound her. But what they did was those strong men, they had big, gruff voices. They would begin to coo. They would say, oh, oh, who is this? Sarah, can I hold her? Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Now I would hand her to them, and those big muscular hands became soft as pillows. They would hold her so gently. The power, the might of an infant. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The Hebrew translated Mighty God is interesting. <laughs> the Hebrew is El Gabor, which could mean divine hero. I want to ponder that for a moment divine hero. The whole idea of heroes, I worry that that's evaporating from our culture. If I said to you, who's your hero? I don't know what answer you would give to that. You could think about it. Uh, what we have nowadays, instead of uh, heroes, I'm afraid, is we have celebrities. I try to think of names of celebrities. Taylor Swift comes to mind. LeBron James comes to mind. Uh, there's some Kardashian people I said this to one of my kids, and they said, oh, yeah, Kardashians, they're celebrities. I said, what are they famous for? I, I don't even know. Daniel Borston said the day would come we would have people who were famous for being famous. And this is sort of our vapid culture. And celebrities, how should we say it? They glamorize. What do they glamorize? They glamorize wealth and beauty and physical agility and coolness. And I don't know what all they glamorize. Don't exactly glamorize holiness, goodness, wisdom. But we live in a culture of celebrities. They fascinate us. And if we have heroes at all, they, we want a hero who will do something for us, right? I grew up on the cartoon on Saturday morning, Mighty Mouse, and some terrible thing would happen. And then Mighty Mouse would spring into action singing, Here I come to save the day. Is this a choral anthem we could do? <laughs> I picture Evan Curry singing this. Really, don't do it, but... Here I come to save the day. You want a hero to come save the day. You want a hero is someone who will do something for us. I think it's the way we often think about our troops, right? They do something for us. 
This in distinction with what Christopher Lash, the great social commentator, wrote, in a narcissistic, self-pleasing culture, that would be ours, we welcome celebrities, why? Because we lack imagination and we lack courage. Heroes make demands of us. Hmm? Or Aunt May to Peter Parker, Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2, said to Peter Parker when he was about to give it all up, Lord knows kids like Henry need a hero, courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a he hero. People will tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught them to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us. It keeps us honest, gives us strength, makes us noble, and finally allows us to die with pride. Even though sometimes we have to be steady and give up the thing we want the most, even our dreams. I wonder if Advent is a season that prepares us to be heroic, to have some courage, not just waiting for some other hero to do things for us. Mighty God. The Israelites in Isaiah's day would have said, good grief, we need a mighty God. Look how mighty the Assyrians are. Just the names of the, we're talking about names, like God's name is Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, those kinds of names. The Assyrian rulers, just their names scare the daylights out of you. Tiglath-Pileser III, run for the exits, right? Shalmaneser, Ashurbanipal. These are terrifying, powerful men. We need a mighty God, don't we? I mean, you could ask the question, what could save Gaza? You need a mighty God there. What could save us? You need a mighty God. But then I wonder about a different kind of might, the kind that turns strong men's powerful hands into pillows. There's a story, it was documented, uh, there was fighting in 1980 going on in Beirut, horrible battle related to what's going on in Gaza today, and Mother Teresa showed up <laughs> at the entrance of the city with her sisters of charity, and they said, you can't come in, the fighting's too fierce. And she said, we want to come in, we don't care if it's dangerous, and they said, you, you can't come in. She said, when can we come in? They said, well, only if there's a ceasefire. She said, when will that be? And they said, well, no time soon. She said, my sisters and I will pray for a ceasefire. <laughs> and that night, there was a ceasefire. And she and her sisters came in and began to heal the wounded. Or I think about St. Francis of Assisi going off with the Crusaders to fight the Saracens, the Muslims. <laughs> He walked across no man's land, not, not in armor or with his sword, but just unarmed. And they started to kill him with their sabers, but he looked so pitiful, so they took him to the Sultan Malik al-Kamil. They became friends, bought peace for a while. Mighty God. For both of them, it took some courage. They had to show up. It took some courage. But yet, uh, to talk about the mightiness of God, it's the fuel of cynics, isn't it? You have the cynics, and they're all best-selling authors, Bart Ehrman, Christopher Hitchens, that tribe. They sell so many books in the religion sections of our bookstores, and, and the image that they always run to is that God's, if there can't be a God because if God's mighty, he's not very mighty. The, the image that Simon Blackburn uses is that it means as if God had an apartment building, and in the apartment building, every, there are leaks everywhere. They're, they're, it's toxic. Uh, there are thieves that are coming in all the time. It's just the worst apartment building ever. And God says, well, I, I could do something about it, but I don't. I mean, what kind of apartment building owner would that be? So there's so much cynicism. They would say such a God is not very powerful. They would say such a God is not. However, in the Scriptures, though, we learn about a different kind of God who isn't interested in control and that kind of power. It's a God that's interested in love. And if you're going to love, you can't overpower the other, can you? You can't control the other. If you love, you're vulnerable. If you love, you don't really know how it'll turn out. If you love, you do get your heart broken. Remember in seminary reading Jurgen Moltmann's great book, The Crucified God, where he said, God is better than omnipotent. God is better than all those philosophical definitions like omnipotent. Surely God is omnipotent. He said, God's better than that. God is love. 
He said, you can't love omnipotence. I mean, if I tell you about Tiglath-Pileser III, you just can't love this guy. He's too scary. He's too powerful. But if I tell you about Jesus, an infant in a manger, that's the God you can love. But when that's what God's like, it's no wonder that you can be a mess. The world can be a mess. That's how it goes. In a world that's a mess, we look for miracles, don't we? We want God to dip God's finger down and work a miracle or two for us. I've quoted recently something from Albert Einstein that I like a lot, but you've got to rethink it. Einstein wrote this, it's the absence of miracles that show divine providence. The fact that the cosmos is comprehensible, that it follows laws, is worthy of all. Like, I love that. Einstein said, it's not that God does miracles, it's that God creates the order of the world, and, and you know how things are going to turn out. And people nod and say, yes, uh, except, right, when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hmm, it's terminal cancer. Or you go to the doctor and the doctor says, ooh, it's Alzheimer's. And then you don't want the world to unfold by its natural laws. You want those natural laws to be broken. And so we begin to pray. And we pray hard. And we pray rightly, as we should. I have found it's been my great privilege in my life, what I do for a living, to pray for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people with all kinds of terrible situations. And I've prayed for people uh, having knee replacement, I have a pretty good record of success in prayer for people with knee replacements. But for people with Alzheimer's or pancreatic cancer, my prayer seemed to avail nothing. You know this kind of thing. We were doing building tours for some of our donors the other day, and pointed to the columbarium, and I said, uh, you should pay special attention to the columbarium because this one day will be your home. <laughs> it will one day, some such place, will be our home. We'll have our service tomorrow night, our hope and consolation service. And one of the things that you can ask if you grieve during this season, the loss of someone you love, is, is it better to go or to be left behind? I do not know the answer to this question. There's a hole now in every family photo, isn't there? You Photoshop the one you've loved and lost into that photo in your memory. My favorite childhood Christmas photos were at my grandparents' house, and my grandfather, Papa Howell, is in them. He's been gone a long time. And when we first lost him, it just didn't seem like we could even have Christmas. I remember just thinking, Papa Howell, is Christmas, <laughs> right? We pray, and those prayers may not be answered in the way we want, but it doesn't mean that we do not pray. Of course we pray. Madeline Lingle, uh, her husband, Hugh Franklin, uh, was on a long weekend waiting for a biopsy result, and so she was praying, Lord, please don't let it be malignant. Lord, please don't let it be malignant. And she told a friend this, and the friend said, you can't pray that way. It already is malignant or it isn't. This got on her nerves. <laughs> she said, I have to pray what's in my heart. And then she wrote this in her journal. Prayer is love, and love is never wasted. Surely these prayers have sustained me and are sustaining me. Perhaps there will be unexpected answers to these prayers, answers I may not even be aware of for years, but they are not wasted, they are not lost. I am not sure where they have gone, but I believe that God holds them, hands outstretched to receive them like precious pearls. When we love, we do our part here, and that is to commend those we love to God with all courage, with all earnestness, with all love, and then when we lose them, we trust the mightiness of God to welcome them. We trust, here's the odd part of my sermon, I hope this is okay. We trust that uh, God works in the dark. The Assyrians never said God works in the dark. <laughs> they said God works by our might, but 
Israel always said God works in the dark. The farmer, of course, works by day, but then God's hand is on the garden during the night while the farmer is sleeping. Lisa and I know a woman, she's a landscaper. Her business is called Luna. She works during the night. Like she shows up at your house when you're about to go to bed and then she works all night and you look out in the morning and I'm like, wow, look what she did. She works in the dark. The story that came to me, trying to think of examples of work in the dark, was from the first Thanksgiving I spent with Lisa's family. We were engaged, but not married yet. And we were up in the, at their house at Lake Genaluska in the mountains, and I, I was kind of nervous, you know, being with them the first time. And I woke in the morning. It was about 4 or 5 a.m., pitch black dark. This is before you could make a light out of your cell phone. And I heard this noise, this kind of, I don't know what it was. I, and in my mind, as I kept listening to this noise, I thought, some creature has come in this house in the mountains. It's eating through, maybe it's in the kitchen, eating the Thanksgiving food. I don't know. And I thought, I need to see what it is. No one else seems to be stirring. Even have this vision like, I'll save their family and they'll love me forever. <laughs> so I got out of the bed and I the door, it's pitch black dark. And I, creep and it's just a few feet to the kitchen and I peered around and and there just by the light above the stove is Lisa's mom and she's wrapping the turkey in foil I crept back to bed she didn't see me <laughs> I could not have guessed in such a moment how much I would love her and how much in a season like this I would miss her it's the kind of thing that happens in the dark when you befriend someone it's fun right you go to dinner you play cards you go to a game you go hiking whatever you do and it's fun you have no idea how much you will love that person and miss that person. Couples come up to this altar and I marry them and I say till death do us part. It's absolute last thing on their mind. They have no idea how much they will love this other person and will miss them when they are gone. Friends, we believe that God gathers up our emotions, our prayers, our wounds, and they are to God like precious pearls. But God, God works in the dark. There's joy to come. There's a surprise to come. I remember the year that uh, we lived up in Davidson and all our bedrooms were upstairs and it's Christmas morning. We made the children like, you cannot come out of your room until the digital clock says seven. That was the rule. So at 6.59, I got in the hall and waited. And at boom, seven, they bound out of the room, Sarah and Grace. And they come to the top of the stairs and Sarah gets about three steps down and she looks and she looks back up at me and she says, Daddy, there are bikes down here. their bikes down here. What a surprise. So much joy. Friends, God works in the dark, and the morning will come when we will look and say, wow, look who's here. Look who's with us again. And it's all because of that mighty God, the wonderful counselor. Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks be to God. Friends, let us go to God in prayer. Loving and gracious God, we gather at your church at your home, as your people, to prepare the way of the Lord in this season of Advent. In the midst of so much noise and distractions, in the midst of so much contempt and conflict, may we prepare for your way together, the way of hope, peace, joy, and love as a family of God. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Your way leads us toward life, life worth living and life worth sharing. Your way leads us toward peace, peace that endures all things and for all people. Help us to trust in your gospel and to believe in your hope, everlasting hope that will have the final say in your world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May your spirit bring, up, bring about laughter in our lives and joy in your church. Being with and beside one another, may we find comfort and strength in each other as we continue to worship as a people of God. As we begin anew and renewed, convict us of our sins and shortcomings, reveal our wounded places in need of healing, lead us toward goodness, reveal to us our brokenness that only you can repair, give us courage to do the divine works of reconciliation in our lives, in our church, in our community around the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up those who finished their course in faith, whom you have graciously received. We pray for the family and friends of Ruby Sparks. We lift up all those who mourn this day. And because we trust in the assurances and the promises of God in all things, in all places, at all times, we are able to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So friends, as we come to receive our offering this morning, I would remind you that as we do every year, the bulk of our giving for the year comes in in the last month of the year. Know that it is needed. Know that it matters. Know that it is transformative. So friends, let us give and give generously.
Loving and gracious God, all gifts are come from you. You are the giver of all good things. We offer a portion of that which you first given to us so that these gifts may be used for your glory. To show your love to all who are hungry, may we be good friends to them. Thank you for all the meals we have each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore.